Make no mistake, there have been ups and downs, but Lisa Price has battled and learned, and with the sale of Carol's daughter, she's come out on top. It's the story of how a mogul made it happen. I gotta tell you, your hair looks great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you feel pressure to have your hair right all the time? Because yes. everyone's like, yes. that's the hair, that's the, that's yes. her. Yes. What, 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 how do you handle that? What do you do with that? Well, I'm fortunate in that the way that I usually wear my hair, which is just curly and kind of wash and go, um, that I have it to a routine where it just works. So the only time I'm really taking risks is when I do something like this, like do a protective style. Right. And I always hope that it's going to come out okay. There have been occasions where I sat for six hours and got a style done and then was kind of like, yeah, no, <laughs> this is not, I can't do this. But six hours. Yeah. And then I That's... had to take it out the next day. Wow. Yeah. But the, the whole natural hair thing, you've been at the forefront of it mm -hmm. for like since 93-ish, right? 90s? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've never understood why natural hair isn't the norm, all right? It's you, it's mm -hmm. who you are, mm -hmm. do you, why mm -hmm. not, right? But mm -hmm. yet this perm and straightening business is the standard. Well, it was, well, it uh, isn't right. anymore. Correct, yeah. correct. Well, that, that goes way back to when we were slaves and there was a certain slave that was allowed inside the house. And, With the straight hair. Right, and that became what was accepted, what was thought of as pretty, what was better, what was smarter. Um, and it was part of our disliking ourselves, you know, because, because people inside the house were perceived to be treated better. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're still all slaves, but you would have a resentment towards that person who seemed to eat better than you did right. or maybe was treated better than you were. They had the good hair. Yeah, right? exactly. But enough of that already. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, yeah. come on. This yeah. is who you are, do you? Right, Why right. not? Right. I mean, but Madam C.J. Walker made a, made a, you know, a million right off the bat. With that. What what's interesting about Madam Walker to me is not so much about natural hair, but the fact that she started a business to empower other women to help other women earn money, and um, the Mary Kay person actually used Madam Walker's model when she formed Mary Kay because she had that same thought process. I want to empower other women. I don't want women to feel that they're limited by being housewives or, you know, working for someone else. So Madam Walker is like, okay, all we can do is clean someone else's home and take care of someone else's children. But if I can help women earn money, maybe they don't have to do that. If I can help women earn money, maybe they don't have to rely on a man that maybe they don't like that much, but he's a provider. So I'm going to, and to me, that is so much more, uh, impactful and empowering that someone so many decades ago would think I'm going to empower, like not even just I'm going to make money for myself. Right. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of other sisters along with me <laughs> and while become I do a it. Serious businesswoman, yeah. a trailblazing. Yeah, the the business starts as a hobby, as you call it, mm -hmm. and this hobby is mixing fragrances and oils and natural stuff mm -hmm. to make what? Who who does that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
So what do you mean this is your hobby? What are you doing? I know. It, today, it's a lot less strange because uh, the DIY community has Pinterest and, you know, so we can all like go there and connect. Let's mix but stuff. But in, in 1993, it was very odd and people did think I, I was a bit of an odd duck. But uh, What was the first uh, couple of substances? What were they that you mixed? Well, the first thing that I mixed was fragrance oils into my own scent. And then I was trying to a add scent that the you oils, like a scent that I liked. Okay. And then I was trying to add those oils to lotions that I could get at the drugstore, like unscented lotions. But they didn't blend well, and they were kind of messy. But 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 why? Uh, because <laughs> why are you I doing well, that? I had really dry skin. Right. I always wanted to find something that would moisturize me well. And then when I started out, I started out with this fragrance exploration. I've loved scent so you ever since the, I was a small child. Right, but you wanted the lotion to smell a certain way. Yes. So you're mixing scent in lotion yes. at the store. Okay, yes. that's not unreasonable. That's not too weird. <laughs> it's not too weird. Right. And that I came across a book um, in a in a bookstore one Sunday, and the book talked about essential oils and the different aromatherapeutic properties that the oils had. And there were basic recipes in the book for massage oils and moisturizers. So I was like, oh, I didn't know that you could make your own moisturizer. That's cool. Okay. And I took those recipes and kind of played around with them. What's in the recipes? What are you using to make this stuff? In those recipes, there were things like lanolin, olive oil, um, vitamin E drops, things you would have to go source out at a health food store or even sometimes craft stores. If you were looking for beeswax, you might okay. find it at a craft store for, for making candles. Um, and I began to play around with them because something like lanolin is uh, animal derived and it has its own sort of scent. So beeswax smells more like honey and uh, was a bit softer on the skin. And I wrote down what I did in books. Like I wrote down my recipes so that if something was working, I could repeat it. Um, if it was too thick, I could loosen it and you know just adjust accordingly. This is all for personal use, just for all yourself? All for personal use, just You're for not, myself. Are you sharing it with, with family, friends? I did share it with family and friends once I got something that I felt was somewhat stable because there were times when I would mix something and it looked great for right. about an hour. Oh, then it dissipated. <laughs> and then or it would start to separate, fall apart and right. separate. So I, the, the funny thing is, is I was watching um, a, a commercial and it was for like Duncan Hines cake mix right. and they were whipping the batter with a mixer. Right. And I remember looking at that and thinking, what if I whip it as it cooled? Maybe it won't fall apart. Uh, it'll stay together. And that actually did work. And wow. that was my first lesson in how important process is. It's not just the recipe, but the process of putting the recipe together that gives you a different outcome in your emulsion. And you learn that by watching TV. <laughs> yes. I mean, really? There were lots of trial and error because I was never really a science person. Definitely a person comfortable in the kitchen. I love to cook and right. still do. Um, so there were some things that lended itself to the body care recipes that might be a part of baking as well, like the science of baking. Now, while you're doing all this, are your friends, are your families thinking, what? It's kind of weird, or <laughs> I like this, or just let her do her thing. Lisa's, Lisa's doing her thing. What do they think of this? At first, I think they were a little bit nervous because <laughs> I had made some not so great career choices. So I think people were concerned 
that I was gonna give up my job. To do this. And, to do this. And then when they saw that I wasn't giving up my job, then they were like, okay, okay. We're getting some great lotion out of it and she's having fun. <laughs> it wasn't even but a, she still has her job. Right, it wasn't even a side hustle yet though. This is still just a hobby. It's still a hobby. You're making lotions mm -hmm. and, and creams, really um, for the skin. For the skin. Not yes. hair yet. Nothing for hair. And, and people are like, okay, I'll work with this. And then my mother just said one day, she said, why don't you sell at St. Mary's Flea Market? And church. The, her, her church was having a flea market. It was May 25th, 1993. And I said, Mommy, do you think they'll really buy the moisturizers, the body butters? And she said, yeah, they're, they're great. I think people will like them. And that was the beginning of me selling to total strangers. At the church in mm -hmm. Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Did she really believe they were great or she was like just, you know? No, she believed it because my mom was not one to sugarcoat things. If she didn't believe in what you were doing, she might try to steer you in another direction because she didn't she didn't tear you down, but she didn't tell you, oh baby, you're so wonderful, just for you to hear that. I'm not gonna lie to you. Mm -mm. So you're selling at the flea market. Mm -hmm. What are what are people saying? What's the reaction? What do you hear? People Ted said this smells really good. Oh, this feels so soft on my skin. Um, I was kind of surprised that I sold everything that I brought with me that day. I didn't bring a ton because uh, it was my first time doing it. And while I was there, I got a flyer for something that was coming up the following weekend. And I thought, well, I'm not doing anything that weekend. Maybe I'll do this again, you know, because it was profitable. And I spent the whole summer doing that because at that time we didn't have as many television shows as we do today because we didn't have as many channels. Correct. <laughs> no such thing as streaming. No, you know? no, no social media. No social media. So television production in New York was pretty slow in the summer months. So you had time. I had time. And I spent every weekend pretty much selling at different craft fairs and flea markets and kind of learning that circuit. Um, and by the time we got to fall, I started to have customers coming to my home. You're making money. Yeah. What kind of money are we talking about? Not not a lot, but not um, not so little that I didn't keep pursuing it. 50 you know, here, 100 there, 1,000 here. What, I mean, just can you give me a feel? Um, if I did an event, like selling someplace on a Saturday, I'd, I'd make a few hundred bucks in a, in a day, which was great. When I started to sell out of my home, when I would be home on the weekend, um, it got to the point where I just didn't go anywhere on the weekend because I could I could make a thousand dollars in my apartment on a Saturday. Wow! Um, you know, if, what, if there was traffic. What did you think of that? It's kind of magical. I make this and it sells, and I have cash. I mean, that's that's amazing. It, it really it was really um, when I when I in retrospect when I think about it, it was such an organic thing that just sort of happened. And I just went with it. And then when I began to tell people the story of how I built the brand, that's when I realized this sounds really crazy, <laughs> that I just let strangers into my apartment. <laughs> to buy. <laughs> to buy things. Right. But you know, when, when you have someone ring your doorbell at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning and wake you up because she's going to the beauty parlor and she needs to get product to take with her, you, you say to yourself, I'm, I'm on to something. Something good is happening. Uh, I, this, they, they really want this. But once know? again here, you weren't, you know, you come out of B school, you didn't know all this stuff about marketing and, mm -hmm. and business plans, and you didn't set out to go after this and make, make me some money. It wasn't like that. Right, You're right. just, it's just evolving and growing. What's your, what are your thoughts? What are your, what's your mindset 
as this is evo uh, evolving and developing? I, in the beginning, I felt that it was for me to learn and the point would reveal itself later. And then as the business began to grow. The point meaning? The point of why I went through this. The like reason. The, the reason mm -hmm. for it would reveal itself. And as the business began to grow, and I started to receive notoriety for being the founder of the business, I realized that maybe this happened to me so that I can show other people that they could also do it. But that, that's a whole other level of thought here. I'm talking in practical terms. You are now in the middle of this, mm -hmm. and it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, how do you get from selling creams, lotions, to now hair at some point? And, and there's... And how do how do people learn about this? We talked about there not being social media. There's right. no there's no way to just blast out to thousands <laughs> of people, right? You have to hustle with paper and yep. uh, phone calls. <laughs> I don't even know if email was happening nope. in '93. There wasn't really email. No, no, right? there wasn't. This, and we were lucky to have cell phones at that point. We had those big old phones that like a, were like a brick, right? <laughs> exactly. Remember that? And I did not have enough money to own one of those, so See, I did not have one. Right, right. I used the one from the job from from the office right, at that point. Right, right. So. How are you getting, how are people learning about? My husband calls that the sister girl network because it was literally people telling their friends, you have to go to her house, I'm gonna take you there, the stuff is amazing, you have to try it, and one person would tell another person, and it was always someone bringing a friend with them. Um, and then as far as switching from body to hair, I was selling at a flea market and people were coming up to the table and they said, well, do you have anything for hair? And I would say, no, but I have really great body butters. And then they would walk away. Wow. Oh, well, you know, I'm looking for something for my hair because I need it to be softer. I need it to be shiny. And that kept happening. You felt rejected. Yeah. And at the end <laughs> of the day, I said to my husband, I said, I got to start making hair care products because they're not smelling the body butters and people want products for their hair. I started out with a hair oil. Then I made a hair butter. Then I made a pomade. Um, I had a few friends who were natural hairstylists, so they did braids and locks. I would give them things to test. But, but how did you know to make this? Again, you're, you're experimenting I, I with read, things. Yeah, I read about essential oils and herbs for hair. Um, I spoke to my stylist friends to ask about textures. Like, do you like creams? Do you like pomades? And they said, well, we use different things for different reasons. And I just experimented. When I started to use it on myself, I realized that I had actually been settling for the hair care that I used. I didn't know that I could control my curls and make them do what I wanted them to do if I had the right products. Without chemicals, by the way. Right. All those products you say you settled for were filled with chemicals. Well, or some, some were and some weren't. It's just at that time, there was very little available for you if you were not relaxing your hair. If you were, and I wasn't relaxing my hair at that time. I was wearing it curly. But I didn't know what my curls would look like every day. So there were days where I'm like, oh, this is cute. We're good. And then there were days where I was like, well, it's a little frizzy, but hey, 
I guess that's how I look today. No control. Right. You and no then I idea. started to garner no. control with the things that I was making. Ah. And when I began to introduce the hair care products to people, I had more people buying both because now there was something to kind of bring them to the table and oh you have something for hair oh you have a hair oil for my scalp oh that's interesting now what period of time are we talking about 93 is when this all started this how far down the road are we 94 here? it was it just, was just a, year a year later you're yeah. getting into into hair yeah yeah wow had you come up with the name yet the name of the business carol's yes. daughter you had because yes. carol was your mom yes and, and i was, was her daughter sure and her idea to go out and sell this, yes. right? But I had the name before that, before she suggested that I sell at a flea market. Really? Because what ended up happening is before I sold at the flea market, I was asked to have a meeting with a salon owner. A friend of mine used to go to this salon called Canaps, and um, she wanted them to try my stuff. And I went to this meeting and you know somebody was like, well, you have to have a name for the company if you're gonna go have a meeting. I was like, oh my goodness. Right, I have to have a name. I have to have a, a, a something that looks like a label. Think, quick, <laughs> yes. come up with something. Exactly. How much time did you have? <laughs> About a day and a half. Yeah. Um, so I came up with the name and going into the meeting, it was you know like reality check for me that, okay, this is still very much a hobby. I, I didn't know anything about wholesale business and all of that, um, but that's how I got I got the name Carol's Daughter, and I kept the name even though it was just a hobby. And then when I knew I was beyond the hobby and I was ready to sell, I kept Carol's Daughter as the name because I always liked it. By the way, how did she do your hair as as a kid, when you were a kid? My mom? Yeah. She did pigtails a lot. That it parted down the middle and two <laughs> on the side, and then the three where you have the one in the front right. and the two in the back. Yeah. Right. I didn't get to wear it out very often. So it was natural. I had a lot of pigtails. Yes. As it turns mom out. Mom didn't relax my hair until I was about 11 or 12 because she wanted me to learn how to manage my own hair. And again, because products were so limited, we didn't have conditioning shampoos and things like that. So for her, the relaxer process was more about managing my hair. It had nothing to do with my identity. It had nothing to do with this makes you prettier or better. It was more perfunctory. And it wasn't something that I could do often because she was always concer- more concerned about the health of my hair. So right. I learned early from mom that it was about having healthy hair and not about looking cute. Right. This is what my wife talks about all the time. It's about managing it. <laughs> I, okay, I got you. I got you. You go ahead. You manage it. You look great. It's good. Um, so at some point, people start to get notice outside of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. How does it? How does it keep expanding and keep growing? And how does Jada Pinkett you know, Jada Pinkett Smith mm-hmm. become an early investor and Steve Stout. How do these people hear about it with no internet, with no okay. social media? How does it get to them? The, the first part of it getting outside of Brooklyn is I give Essence Magazine total credit. Um, I was in Essence a couple of times with products and like pictures, but then there was an article specifically about locked hair and there was one sentence that said, for optimal moisturization, try Carol's Daughter Lock Butter, and then the toll-free number. Wow, some writer had just put that in there. Crazy, like my phone just rang and rang and rang and rang. Toll-free, and you were paying for these calls, <laughs> right? 
And it was it was the beginning of, you know, people outside of New York. Oh, can I carry you in my boutique? Do you do wholesale, et cetera? Um, as far as Jada being concerned, um, Jada got the products through Jazzy Jeff. I didn't know that for quite some time, that that's how she found me. What did he um, have to knew. do with the product? He, I, I have yet to meet Jazzy Jeff to ask him, like, how did you even know about me? Really? But what I heard from Jada was he knew how much she loved body care products. She loves lotions and creams and bath things and all of that. So whenever he found the brand, however he found it, he said, oh, she's going to love this. And he sent it to her. And then her assistants began to shop for her. And then she would call and there were times when Will would call. So they were customers before they were investors. And Steve Stout found out about the brand through it ending up in his bathroom. Like that's the story that he told me. Ending up in the he bathroom. Was, he was, you know, <laughs> dating someone and like the product would be in the bathroom and he's like, what is this? Oh, this woman in Brooklyn makes this stuff. And he's like, you go to Brooklyn to get this? Wow, wow you know? Wow. Um, and I think that happened a couple of times and then I was on his radar. With different women? I didn't ask that question. I'm just asking. But it could be, you know. But <laughs> Steve's a, a very happily married man now. Yes. So different life, but this was when he was young. Right. Um, and Steve knew a woman who knew me, and he reached out to her, and then we all got together and had lunch. And that was the beginning of us talking about being business partners, and then we subsequently became business partners. That's beyond incredible. Yeah, It truly. clearly meant to be, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this stuff doesn't just happen. No. No. Wow. So he invests like $10 million. That sound about right? Well, Steve invested initially, and that number was never disclosed. We became partners, okay. but then he put together an investment team, um, and there there was an investment. It was reported to be about $10, 15000000 million. It wasn't quite accurate, but that doesn't matter. It's The players were what was important. Sure. Um, and we worked together um, as a team with um, Will and Jada as investors, uh, James Lasseter was an investor, Jay-Z was an investor, and then later on in 2007, at the end of 07, Pegasus Capital Advisors came on as equity partners, and that was that was the, the big investment. So you're meeting all these people, young lady from Brooklyn, mm -hmm. who doesn't know famous people, who no. is just minding her own business, mm -hmm. playing with oils. <laughs> what What? What's that like when you're having these meetings initially? You've got to be somewhat out of body, somewhat in For awe, sure. yeah. impressed. But then you realize these are just people, right, who've done right. well. Right. But initially, what, what was that like? There, there was some management on my part with being around celebrities because I had been in television production. So I had learned how to be, you know, so I wasn't a kind of person <laughs> it wouldn't have worked <laughs> no no but the first time that I sat down with Will and Jada to have dinner I was very very early to dinner because I was so paranoid about being late so I was probably sitting in the restaurant a good 40 minutes before they got there <laughs> And Drinking wine or and something. It, yeah. No, well, I, I don't really drink, but I drink a lot of water, which right. then led to me needing to use the restroom. Yeah, you got to get up. And every because I'm the first one there, like six people have to get up for me to get to the restroom. <laughs> and I kept like waiting, like, I can't, I don't want them, I don't want to ask them to get up now. I can wait, I can wait. And Will just tells a lot of jokes. So eventually I just had to bite the bullet and say, can I go to the restroom? <laughs> and let six people get up. Or you could have just left. Laughed and it could have like been a yeah, problem. No, could have had an yeah. accident. 
That would have been ugly. <laughs> that wouldn't have been good. No. But it was it was very um, surreal. And um, what what I did love about it was how human they were. Hmm. Um, not that I expected them to be bizarre. Yeah, but what do you I, mean by that? I remember when Jada and I first said hello to each other and she asked if I had children. And then she began to tell me about her family, which we all know because it's in magazines, right? But she said it as if I had no knowledge right. whatsoever. Like a normal person. Like a normal person. Right. Just, you know, this person is this age and right. that one's that age and this one's going here and these are the plans and and I was just like, wow, you're so real, like you're a mom, you know? And it was it was very cool. And then watching them interact as a couple and just be funny and silly and poke fun at each other mm-hmm. and, you know, j- and just be regular people. I, I almost felt um, a little bit privileged as if I were in a private space mm-hmm. and it was okay for me to be there and bear mm-hmm. witness to the normal. Right, and you, you know? bonded. Right yes. There. Yes. So that was the start of something special. It was investors, it was. friends. You have a team, mm-hmm. right? Where, where do you go from there? O- Oprah. Oprah came calling at some point. Well, actually, I was able to do Oprah prior to meeting Steve. That uh-huh. was another thing about when I met him that kind of impressed him that I was on Oprah without PR. And how did that happen? Word of mouth. There was a associate producer who met me at a party that was hosted by B. Smith and- At the restaurant on the west side? It wasn't at her restaurant, it was at another restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, She was having a dinner for advertisers for a magazine that she was starting and she wanted the advertisers to experience live crafts that would be on the pages of the magazine. And I was one of the people that was doing crafts live at the party. So I was making rose milk bath and lavender bath salts. And people were collecting them in whatever, because I ran out of containers. They were going to the bar to get like empty containers so they could take stuff You were making this right there? Right there. At the party? At the party. Is that a thing? I I don't know if I've been to a party where that happens. What kind of party was it? It's Carol's daughter comes to the party. What kind of party are we talking about? It, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. We yeah. had a lot of fun, and so this associate producer from The View, Jackie Taylor, was at this party. Jackie booked me for The View, and then years later, she's interviewing for a job on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and my name came up in conversation. The producers were doing a show about women who had started businesses in their homes and their businesses were making over a million dollars. So Jackie was like, oh, have you spoken to Carol's daughter? And that's how they got my name. Wow, so you did The View already? I had done The View. And then and then Oprah. Yes. The impact of that is not possible to, to overstate, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that must have just been exponential and I don't know how you handle that, but you did. Well, I, again, feel like I was very blessed in how it happened because the show was about women entrepreneurs and multiple women entrepreneurs. I was one of four people featured in the show. Live on the stage? It was was taped. The traffic to my website we, it did crash the site because the host did not believe us when we said we were going to be on Oprah and like get ready. Right. What year is it, this? This was 2002. Okay. Internet's a little slow. And, yeah. Still a little, little shaky. A little, little slow then. And they were like, yeah, no, we're ready. We're ready. They weren't ready. Right. Um, but it was a manageable hit to our business 
that didn't cause us to implode, didn't cause us to have tons of delays. We had a little bit around the clock working happening to get orders out on time, but it was this sort of gradual thing. So the show airs in June, we get this lift in business. Because of the show, I get a book deal. Because of the show, I get a three-page spread in People Magazine. The show comes back again in October. So the whole back half of that year just kind of did this Absolutely. And so it was manageable. It wasn't as if overnight I went from here to here. Right. Um, so it was, it, was, it was great. So can you give me some data from that period of point, that, that point in time, like um, staff, revenues, quantity? When I went on the show, the business was at just over $2 million, um, per year. But the back half of that year um, was pretty dramatic. So we, I think the year prior, I might have had profit of about eight or $9,000. And then that year, my profit was more like fifty, And I had never had profit like that before um but it was because that that back half was was busy it 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 was great and i'm you know i'm not knocking it in in any way um but it was also like a lot of pressure there was a lot more eyeballs Mm -hmm. on the brand and there was pressure to have better labels and better systems and be able to communicate with people better to let them know the status of their order because the appearance was we were a lot bigger than we really were. Right. Um, so, so you feel like you're playing in the big leagues and you're yeah. still this really like tiny person. You felt like an imposter in a certain way? Yeah. Oh, a lot of people absolutely. do. Like little absolutely. old me, what am I doing here? Right? Absolutely, yes. But you pulled it off. Yes. How, how big is the staff at that point? The staff was probably about 20 people back then because we did have a store. So I had staff in the store. We had customer service. We were making gift baskets. We had shipping. And then we're still producing everything by hand. Right. So you decided to build stores as well, not mm-hmm. just one. This first one was where? The first one was in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, right. in a space that used to be occupied by Spike Lee. Um, Spike Lee had a store that sold all of his movie paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. It was called 40 Acres and a Mule. Mm-hmm. Um, and he closed that store, and the space was closed for a while, and I opened my first store there in 1999. And then you opened several others. Yes. When I partnered with Steve and, and we brought in the investment team, we began to open up retail stores as well as do an expansion into retail through department stores like Macy's and through stores like Sephora. Right. And how was that? That that had to be, you know, another growing, another learning curve, right? Yeah, that that growth was much more challenging for me on a personal level because now I'm getting into an area where my staff begins to become people who um are smarter than me, if ah, you will, ah, because yes. they're finance people and operations people, and they've right. worked at beauty brands. Um, so you begin to feel out of your league. You begin to feel that you need to defer to what they're saying, even though there might be something in your gut that says, well, I don't know if I'd do that. For example, what? Like they suggested you do what? Um, get like Getting ready for holiday one year. Uh, it it was a big expansion and we need to be ready for double shipments from the department store and and I was leery about such large inventory Um, 
And it turned out that both of us were right. Mm. They were right because if things had gone normally, we would have had double shipments and I would have been proven wrong and there would have been no issue with inventory. But there was a recession happening that uh, none of us were really aware of until we were very aware. 07? Is that oh, where yeah, we are? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not 07, 08. Right. So in 08, right. some people were aware, but consumers didn't really start to feel it until holiday 08. So mm-hmm. holiday 08, I should have had that double shipment thing happen. <laughs> And there was a single ship. <laughs> so going into 09, we had a lot of inventory that we had to manage. So both sides were right. They were right if things had been normal. And I was right to be leery about so much inventory. Right. A lot of people will look and say, Carol's daughter, man, she's you know, riding high and business is great. And we talk about all these wonderful things. But this is not a straight line from the the kitchen in Brooklyn to, you know, mega success. There are bumps along the way. And you're talking Mm -hmm. about the recession. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, not just during the recession, but moments throughout, they've got to be, you know, you're sleepless. You're there's Mm -hmm. anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you're worried Are we going to make this thing. Absolutely. Talk to me about that, especially when the recession hit. Because you had all these stores that you had built out. It it definitely happens, and it's happened multiple times. And, you know, sometimes in some ways it still happens because you worry about launches and you worry whether things are going to be successful. But what I've found is throughout the years, every time it happens and you survive it, you get stronger for the next one. So you become less and less afraid. And one of the things that I learned during this period, the period during the recession, the period when you have all of these people that have all of this experience that you don't have, I began to learn that I cannot control what people do. I can't make people shop. You know, when you when you sell Consumers, at a flea market, right? When you sell at a flea market, when you sell in your apartment, there are different little levers that you can pull when your audience is so, is small and you can pull those levers and get the sales that you need to get. But when you're sitting on a shelf in a store or you're on air on HSN or you have a website, there are some marketing levers that you can pull, but when you go through a recession, there's not much that you can do to make people buy. You have to ride it out. And I began to learn that I can't control what they do, but I can control how I react to it. So am I going to let it pull me down every single time and I'm going to be on the roller coaster up and down, up and down, or am I going to stay here as best as possible and just keep doing the work that I know I need to do and doing it the best that I can? And what the outcome is is the outcome, but every day I'm going to start off here and be Lisa and be the best Lisa I can be. Right. It's easy to say, hard to really do. Absolutely. And you learn that over time, right? I, Falling and, down, getting and up. And I learned it sitting in a meeting, and I'm sitting in the meeting feeling as if I'm being beat up on. And in some ways I was. But as I sat in that meeting, I looked around the room and I realized I was having a deja vu moment. I had been in this space before. What, what are they beating up on you about? Just, you know, you, you, you got to be tougher and, you, you know, you got to be stronger. And, you when know, it comes to when it comes to managing and when it comes to setting an example for your staff. And in some ways, you could, in theory, look at the conversation and say that it was unfair. But because I was in that space of 
I need to react to things appropriately? What do I need to do to make myself stronger? What do I need to do to be to be tougher? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily tougher in the way that was being suggested, but tougher in staying even keeled. And it forced me to look at myself first. Even though things around me, I could say, oh, the recession is happening and this bad thing is happening. And I could point fingers at all of these other things that were causing me problems. What problems am I causing myself? Am I sleeping? Am I eating correctly? Am I exercising? When's the last time I went to the doctor? All of those things affect your ability to stay centered. And your temperament the way you deal with people. And I had to focus on that first and be critical of myself and look at myself in the mirror and change things about me so that I could be a better business leader because I had to start out by being a better Lisa. Right. What a journey. So in 2014, you sell or you partner, however you want to call it, with L'Oreal. Sell. Sell. (laughs) You sold. Partner is the the nice way. It's a very fancy She's still involved, <laughs> and I am still involved, but partner is, is easier sometimes for lay people to understand, but technically it is a sale. You sold this I was thing. acquired by L'Oreal. Why'd you do it? Well, I had in investment. I had you know people, Pegasus Capital Advisors. They Steve. come into a company, and their, their goal is to build you to a place where you can turn around and sell, and then everyone benefits from that sale if everything goes well. Um, so there was no way that I was going to be able to pay back these you know equity partners out of my own pocket so in my mind I always knew that that was the strategy that was the exit strategy I just wanted it to be a company that I was comfortable with that I felt understood the brand that I felt was the right you know story when you when you tell the story of the brand you know and she sold it to L'Oreal you know that sounded better than you know to a I don't know, salad dressing company, right? right? right. <laughs> you know but, I mean? but, but the expecting, and she lived heavily ever after, after yes. that, happily. Yes. Um, but it wasn't quite like that totally. There were people who saw that as selling out, yes. right? Selling out to a white corporation. Right, How'd right. you deal with that? Um, I dealt with it not so well for the first uh, eight or nine hours that it was happening. Um, but people are saying, how could you do that? Pe- yeah, people called me a sellout. People brought my children into the conversation. and Innocent, I, innocent children. Yes, yes. When they, so someone specifically had said, what is it that she's teaching her children by showing them that it's okay to sell out your morals as long as someone writes you a check? Like wow, some wow. Kind of well, people are going to say whatever. Yeah. And you had to learn that, though. Right. You weren't ready for and this. And when that, when that comment occurred I did respond um, and then right after that response I got a message from my social media team put your phone down <laughs> step away from the phone <laughs> just put it down we'll yeah. deal with it tomorrow put your phone down yeah. and that's that same week that we announced the deal and and you know this backlash was coming towards us I went to Miami, so we announced on a Monday. That Friday, I was in Miami at Oprah's Live Your Best Life tour. And she was on stage and she was talking about when her network was failing and she was losing advertisers and the programming was all over the place and she's, you know, I gotta fix this, I gotta fix that. And she was focusing on all of these problems. And she said she was sitting by her trees one Sunday and something said to her, you own a network. 
but you own a network. Your grandmother was raising you to be a maid. Right. You own a television right. network. Like you needed, focus on that. You needed to hear this. And when she said that, right. I thought, I sold my company to L'Oreal. I started in my kitchen. <laughs> I started with $100, and I am now a part of the largest beauty company. To, oh, my God. Right. You know, like, <laughs> why are you upset? Why are you letting all of this crazy get in your head? Right. And it completely flipped the script and changed it. And I, and I said, we have to use the opportunity to teach. And, and then I, the other like, this revelation. This was how many days after the sale? This is about five days. Wow. Excellent the other time. the other uh, part of it was I realized that I had changed someone else's narrative for me. And as a people, as African-American people, we're not accustomed to buying and selling businesses. And we're accustomed to things being taken from us and appropriated and stolen and being lied to and, you know, hoodwinked and all of that. And that's on. our history. So yeah. why should we trust why should we trust this process? Why should we understand that this is an aspect of business, that it is a good thing to build a business and sell it to someone and then go build another one? We don't know what wealth is. We know what rich is, but we don't know what wealth is. Big so difference. Big, use big this difference. as an opportunity to to teach that and mm -hmm. and to explain to people, I know you're uncomfortable with it, but you need to get comfortable with it because we need to get to wealth. Right. And in order to get to wealth, there's going to be a whole bunch of people just like me selling stuff that's going to piss you off. That's right. But when we get to wealth, we'll be good. Right. <laughs> Every Everything will make sense. Trust totally me. different conversation. Yeah. Is it yeah. Chris Rock who said he's rich, but Oprah's wealthy? Something like that. Yes. And, and he has a whole bunch of stuff in between that I can't get into and here. His, his one, the thing that stuck with me about Chris was that he said wealth is something that you can't lose and rich you can lose in a weekend in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> or even sooner, right? So what, what's your day-to-day -day like now? What you, you are a partner <laughs> for this company that bought you. Uh, what, what do you do now? I still um, am very involved in product development. I'm still very involved in the marketing of the brand, being the voice of the brand, um, the authenticity of, mm -hmm. of the brand. Um, and I... You know, I I'm still very much Carol's daughter. Why not just walk away from it? I I wasn't ready for that. Um, the and the brand wasn't ready for it. It it would not have been possible. I I think um, given the attachment that our community had to the brand, right. if I just walked away. And you know, someone else. Yeah, y'all figure it out. You figure out black women and their hair. Go ahead. You'll be all right. You, yeah. No, you can't. Good luck with you that. Can't, yeah, you can't. You can't yeah. do that. It wouldn't have been right for the brand. It wouldn't have been right for me. Um, I've had almost five years now that that I've been there since the sale, and I can see at some point that I will walk away um, because I don't want to work forever. I, I know I look very young, but I'm <laughs> I'm 57, so at, at some point I want to retire. Uh, black don't crack. So. <laughs> Exactly. As we know. But but what's your day to day? Are you in there as a sage? Are you in there, you know, you call in sick? Do you have to show up? Do you, you know, what you do know, you have a staff? I, I do you think, how I do you think how does I this could work? flex that muscle of not showing up, but that's that's not my way. So I show up and then if I feel like I need to be home, I just leave, let people know I'm working from home. No, I'm not clocking in, you know, I'm not being monitored or anything like that. Right. Um, but I I'm very involved in the HSN business, again, very involved in marketing, everything public facing I do. 
Um, and then anything education related, language around the product, storytelling, writing. Um, I have an office. I, I go to my office pretty much every day. Um, I travel a lot. So I've, I've been there every day this week since I got back from Essence, um, from the Essence Music Festival. But I'll be heading to Tampa on Sunday because I have some shows for HSN that I have to do. Right. Um, but it's, it's a good team. And um, I'm one of those people that I always let because I realized somewhere in this process that I'm a founder right. um, and, you know, in this corporate hierarchy, which is so different from the entrepreneurial world, I'm viewed as like, oh, she and her, ah. you know, and her office is over there. And as opposed to what, a business person, you mean? No, as opposed to Lisa, you know, ah. like people think executive but I'm not. I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't grow up in corporate America, so I don't think of myself in that way. Right. So I always make sure that when people come onto the team that are new, I let them know that I'm Lisa. Well, what is your management style? What do you, how did that evolve? Because, you know, from the kitchen to where you are now is a lot, it's a lot of evolving. Yeah. Uh, initially, when I had a staff, one of the tips that I got from someone who worked in HR that was very helpful to me was to think of my staff as a kindergarten class. Not that my staff is a bunch of babies or children, no. But when you work with kindergartners, you uplift as you teach. You don't really critique and you don't admonish. You keep them safe. You make sure they don't do anything dangerous, but you're always encouraging as they're learning and as they're teaching. Everything is done with a kind and loving word. Hmm. Um, and I did that. And it was it was good for me because it worked with my personality. I didn't like confrontation. So it taught me a way to communicate what I didn't want them to do without ever feeling like I was being harsh towards someone or confronting. If I thought of them as a kindergartner, I chose the words well. Did it feel like it worked? It did. It still did. does? I don't do that today because mm. I don't think that I have to do that because I'm less afraid of confrontation. So now I'm just more honest with people. Um, I guess in some ways I still think of the kindergarten thing, mm -hmm. but I'm less nervous about what your impression is of me um, and more concerned about this is what we need to focus on. The business. Yeah. Yeah. A lot so, of people are sensitive. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was one of those people. Right. Um, super sensitive. And now, yeah. not so much. What's the lesson of your life? I, wow. I know that's a big... Yeah. But, but there are a lot here. And you've had, to, you've had time to think and reflect and just, in many cases, probably just say, wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. Um, but what, what, what would you say the lesson is? I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from being Carol's daughter and being an entrepreneur is to not be afraid because there's so many things that I've done that I was terrified to do. Like what? Like speaking publicly in front of people, standing in a room with a thousand people in the room and doing a keynote address. Right. Terrified. And then you come to realize it's not that big a deal. 
It still feels like a big deal when really? I have to do a keynote. Um, I'm better with fireside chats. But yes, it. the more you exercise the muscle, the easier it is to do. And the more you relax and realize you got this, you know how to do this. And you're the one with the information, by the right, way. They, right. They're waiting to hear what you have to say. And I don't know that I would have learned that any other way had I not gone through this process. So e- even today when I talk to my children and they want to do something and they're not sure how to do it or they're concerned because, oh, well, I I approached so-and-so and they said no. And I said, okay, well, we didn't. We only got one no. We could, we could go back. Who did you talk to? Your kids are how old now? I have one who's 23, one who's 21, and my youngest is almost 13. Right. She'll be 13 very soon. Right. Well, but they- I, I, I don't take no for an answer, um, and I don't not do something just because I'm afraid of it. I know how to breathe and pray, and as long as it's not too crazy, you know, I, like I'm not – bungee jumping like that's not necessary no it really isn't <laughs> i'm not I'm, I'm not jumping out i'm not jumping no. out of a plane no. unless it's going down <laughs> right. i'm with you on that it's totally unnecessary yeah, i right? don't I, I don't have to get on the cyclone it, it, it that's not gonna yeah. move or prove anything yeah. but yeah come and have maurice dubois interview me yeah i'll do that i'm good with that <laughs> i'm glad you came Thank you know you. what I didn't ask you? What? The reports say that this that you sold for $26, 27000000 million. Is that report accurate? It is not accurate. It's not accurate. It's not accurate. What's accurate? What's the number? <laughs> I can't tell you the number. Otherwise, you'd have to kill me. But it's me. Uh, multiples of that, for sure. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank and you. And thank you for coming. Thank you. Love it. <laughs>